Hello everyone, welcome to Series 6 of the Hay Festival podcast. We're continuing to share recent Hay Festival highlights mixed with revelatory conversations with some of your favourite writers and thinkers on the influences and nuances that inspire their work. Today we're in the company of the very brilliant author Liz Hyder. She joins me for a catch-up about writing inspiration and her time working at Hay Festival. But first, we're starting with a section of her event with Rebecca F. John and Sophie Haydock talking about her debut adult novel, The Gifts, a gothic mystery set in 19th century England where rumours of a fallen angel in London set the scene for danger. So The the Gifts is my debut adult novel and Bearmouth, which was my my young adult debut, which came out first, um, is sort of a dystopian thriller set down a working coal mine and written first person in dialect, uh, which was great fun to do and a challenge. But I definitely didn't want to do that again. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to write about women because, you know, a working coal mine is obviously very much a male um, environment. And I wanted to write a story that had women at its centre. And sort of that's where the idea for the gift started to come from. But I just had this image in my sort of head of um, a woman in, in uh, sort of the, the Shropshire forests growing a pair of wings and it being a really sort of visceral and painful um, experience and not a kind of oh glitter and unicorns I wanted it to be to feel real and to feel raw um, and that's kind of where the story sort of started to come from um, but it's set in 1840 and um, partly in London and partly in Shropshire where I live now just up the road um, and it tells the story of four different women um, an artist a storyteller an aspiring young journalist and botanist. And their lives become interwoven with that of a very ambitious young surgeon in the capital. And when sort of rumours of a, of a fallen angel um, start to kind of float around London, um, you know, the scene is set for a, a, tale, of, a tale of danger, peril. And it, it, because you've got all of that sort of scientific thought and investigation that what was happening at that time, I think that makes it, really grounds it in the in the real doesn't it even though we've got those kind of yeah elements of fantasy really yeah and each of the main kind of characters in it all, all four of the women and my my surgeon character and sort of various other kind of characters in it they are all inspired by either individual real people or a mix of, of different people so Etta my, my botanist character was inspired by um, a real life fascinating woman called Mary McGee who lived in the heart of Ludlow between 1817 and 1844 and she was the daughter of a plantation owner and um, a a freed enslaved woman and she is fascinating she is an absolutely fascinating character Um, and she came to she was born in Jamaica she came to London and lived in London for quite a while and then moved to Ludlow and she was hugely wealthy her father sold the plantation off and um, she inherited a lot of money um, and so she lived in the most prestigious address in Ludlow Castle Lodge, which is a, is, is a grand house. It is number one Ludlow. That's how friend is. <laughs> um, and so she would have been hugely well known in the area. And yet she's sort of fallen, fallen out of history. And I thought that was such an interesting story. But I didn't want my botanist to be Mary McGee. I wanted her to be her own character. So I sort of, I'm like, a, I think we're all like jackdaws, aren't we, really? I think all writers are a bit like jackdaws or, ma- or magpies that we sort of steal shiny things and, and, and interpret them into something else. And I, I think, that, yeah, and I, think, I think that's what, you know, that's what I was trying to do with the gifts as well, is show that sense of, sort of that sense of continuity that, mm. you know, women in the past, you know, um, women have historically not had, not had much of a voice. 
And so giving, giving these women a voice, enabling them, you know, enabling us to sort of share their frustrations, to see their frustrations, to see that they're not being allowed to kind of live their full potential, I think is a really, it is a really enlightening and beautiful thing. Um, and I think it does, it does shine a spotlight on, you know, for me with the gifts, what I was trying to do is it's, it's, it's not for me about like the first female doctor, the first, you know, um, female artist that gets, um, becomes a member of the Royal Academy of Arts. It's about those women that come before. It's about those women who, who unlock the door so that others can push it open. You know, um, those people who are officially the first are fantastic in their own ways. But for me, it's that, that gap. Um, that gap between sort of the known and that little bit of the unknown that comes before it and that weight of women's voices that have gone unheard. They've just been little whispers. And so for me, it's about taking that and, and amplifying it in fiction. Um, that sort of that, yeah, that's what I was, what I was um, trying to do. Um, can I go back to you just quickly, Rebecca, about um, speculative techniques? Mm. Because obviously you use them in the empty greatcoat. Um, and I use them a little bit in the gifts, but can you yeah. sort of tell us about why did you why did you decide to use that? For yeah. well, I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say about your. I might think what you say. Because I just love the visual, actually, with yours, and um, that's an element of of what I wanted from the speculative techniques I use as well. It's that I wanted. I, I love reading really visual writing, and I love it when it it doesn't perhaps pertain to plot or any of those things it doesn't really drive a, a novel but um I love to read beautiful writing and I, I I write very visually so I wanted that kind of visual representation and for me that came from the the empty grave quote um in that Francis is fighting on Gallipoli and um he becomes ill with pleurisy this is from the journal he really does become ill with pleurisy and is um it's just sort of drugged to keep going really the doctor Dr. Marx, as the book, as the journal tells us, keeps giving him opium. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this, this man who is out of his place. Um, you know, he's in a, in a foreign country. He's um, living on rations. He's weakening because he's not, not obviously having enough food. And um, he's fighting day and night. So his nerves would have been shot. And now he's being drugged with opium. And I think, his grip on reality must have just been, mm. you know, sliding away minute by minute. Um, and I obviously can't begin to imagine what that experience was like for him. I can try, but I'm probably not going to get close to it. Um, so I was looking for a way into that character, really, with the, the speculative element of this great quote that he, he starts to see sort of floating around Gallipoli and he thinks... Initially, he thinks his dad is, is inside it and wearing it. So he's chasing after it and thinking oh, it's going to be his dad. And then he thinks it's his friend who he's looking for, who he's lost. And it's quite menacing as well, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit. Oh, you said floating around. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's really in, intensely atmospheric. And it reminds me a lot of M.R. James's kind of ghost stories. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a very powerfully creepy element to that, I think. I mean, for me, the, 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 the wings, they do, they do physically grow but they they are also a, a metaphor yeah um, and I, I wanted to sort of play around with the idea of you know the angel of that house the very that very kind of Victorian idea and I wanted to I wanted to play around with um with ideas around sort of enlightenment and and looking up and out at, at, at the world and um you know one of the things that um that the Etta says when she changes is open your eyes um and I think it's very easy to kind of um particularly, you know, with social media and lots of things these days, it's very easy to kind of look very internally 
And I think it's just that reminder to look kind of up and out of the world and our relationship with, with, with nature, with, with, um, with the environment, I think has never been more important. And I wanted that to kind of be a key theme in the book as well. So, you know, feathers is a motif, obviously, that keeps on coming up. Um, and I, yeah, I wanted to explore that through, through, through metaphor, really. And I also, I did love the idea of just a woman crowing wings in a, in a forest. I, I just thought that was a really interesting, interesting image to, to sort of play around with in terms of, in terms of storytelling. To listen to the full event, you can go to our Hay Player at hayfestival.org forward slash hayplayer and hit subscribe. In previous years at Hay Festival, you would find Liz Hyder standing next to me with a red clipboard, persuading authors to talk to us on camera. She's complete joy to work with. She's full of energy and is very, very funny. So it was an absolute pleasure to have her back as an award-winning YA and now adult author. Liz, you are an unusual kind of writer at the festival because you've been behind the scenes and worked here for a number of years as well. Why, yes. For four, five, four, five years? Five years, something like five that. Five years, something. Yeah. yeah. And now you've written a book and you're too good for us. <laughs> I think you'll find I've written two books. <laughs> two books. The double nearly three. It is so nice, though, to be back and to be at a festival where there are audiences and people, and they're in the same room as you. And it just makes—it's really made me realise how much I've missed that. How much that kind of electricity of people being together in a space—it's just magnificent. And it must be must be quite weird for you as well, because you basically you brought out books in the middle of COVID originally, so you haven't had much many kind of book tours in the way that you would have planned to right yeah not yeah not really so bear mouth which was my first one that's my young adult book that came out in the at the end of 2019 so not long before 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 things went wrong <laughs> before everything got locked down um so yeah that came out and i did a few bits and bobs for that and i was supposed to do more for the paperback when that came out but um but that did not happen and yeah so all these all these you know all the festivals and you know, kind of award ceremonies and things that I was like, yeah, I love a party, putting on some shoes and a frock and stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but none of none of them happened. <laughs> and then The Gifts came out, which is my first book for, for, for grown-ups. I don't like saying my first adult book because that always sounds a bit like mm, Fifty Shades. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with Fifty Shades, if that's your thing. I am not judgmental. Um, that's going to be book number five. <laughs> that's going to be book number six. Um, but yeah, and then The Gifts came out in February. So I've been able to do some some events and, and, and meet some people and yeah I think we've all kind of slightly forgotten how to talk to other people <laughs> how to interact and actually you had a really like diverse career as well so it must be really weird for you being kind of almost on the other side of the work that you've done before because you've done publicity and yeah. events and yeah is that really weird do you feel like you want to get involved and yeah manage everyone <laughs> I just, I feel very naked without a lanyard and a clipboard, to be quite honest. I feel like I'm walking around in my underwear. I, can I just reassure anyone listening to the podcast that I'm not walking around in my underwear? Just clarify. Um, I've got a dress on six. top. I have, I have got underwear as well. That's <laughs> <laughs> book number seven. Um, but yeah, it feels, it does feel weird. I feel like I should be doing something. Mm. It Just to sort of sit and have a cup of tea in the green room makes me feel like I'm absolutely slacking off. <laughs> and I need to kind of get off and do something. Yeah. But um, yes, it's... It's weird. Mm. And I see the slight fear across people's faces when they see me, because having worked here for a number of years, they're like, she doesn't have a clipboard. Does that mean she's off duty? Is she going to ask us? Is she going to come and ask us some <laughs> questions with a camera pointing at my face? So, yeah, you can see this like, slight look of panic across people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is fun. They're slightly scared of me, which is great. That's a great 
great position to be in. Yeah, yeah you can uh, you can walk around loudly saying, I'm one of you now. <laughs> I'm an author now. <laughs> I thought I should get a special badge for it. Yeah, you should. Like a Blue Peter badge. Yeah, yeah. A writerly badge. <laughs> it always feels a bit like, like making it out of a hospitality job, isn't it? <laughs> First time you go into a restaurant afterwards that you used to work in, you're like, yes. ah. why, why, hello? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a slight panic that, how you use knives and forks. <laughs> yeah. That's, Which one is that's, the staff? That's of? where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be really weird to be on stage as well because I'm, um, I'm on in the Starlight stage, which is a stage that I have sort of done filming bits in there over the years of like the YA book prize and various bits and bobs. So it'd be really weird to be in there and not immediately go and try and sit at the side of the audience, <laughs> not in anyone's way, <laughs> hastily writing down some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Questions to ask them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really funny. Um, and when you started writing, because obviously you wanted to write for ages and ages, and then when you eventually started, it's just come like pouring out of you. Have you how how much is in your head right now? Uh, <laughs> how many books? <laughs> how many uh, stories? Uh, I, I I mean, there's always too many. I I know I will never I will not live long enough to write down all the stories that are in my head, and that's fine. So I have to kind of pick and choose. And I remember someone saying Pat Barker said a few years ago that you have to go with the idea that's sort of like kind of pulling on your pulling on your trouser leg, like tapping you on the shoulder, like what's the one that is going to like burn its way through you? So I have to sort of pick and choose. Mm. So yeah, so The Gift is out now, oh, and Bearmouth came out a couple of years ago, um, and I've got, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, I'm going to say it anyway, <laughs> I've got two books coming out next year, I've got oh, another grown-up one and another young adult one, but I've already got the ideas for another young adult one after that that I've written the synopsis for, in these work, I mean obviously in these work, mm. and I haven't written it properly yet, and then I've got another two kind of ideas for um, books for adults coming after that as well. So my head is just full of stories and they turn up at really annoying times. When, like when you're really tired and you need to finish doing a redraft and then you'll come across something and you're like, oh, that's a good idea. And then you lay awake all night with these kind of images and characters popping up in your head and you're like, I don't need this now. Shush, hush. So that's what the sleeping yeah. pills are for. But I'm, I'm glad, that I, yeah, exactly. But I'm glad I don't, you know, touch with uh, that I don't have writer's block or anything, it's sort of the reverse, so I have to pick and choose. How would you cope with that? Have you I ever thought, really have you know. ever almost tried to mentally prepare yourself? No, because I sort of feel like, um, I think the thing that I've learned, the more that I've written over the years, and I've always written, I've written ever since I was kind of a kid pretty much, just written a lot and made up stories, um, I sort of feel like as I've got older, I trust my brain more. So when I get to a point where I'm a bit stuck on a plot point or I'm stuck on how to kind of wrap things up that I just, I kind of stick on my rucksack, go for a nice long walk. Um, and usually I've, I've sort of inadvertently figured it out by the time I come back. Not always, but sometimes it takes longer than a walk, but I trust my brain to kind of, to, to, to figure it out. That's, that's interesting. I wonder if that kind of comes with starting to write when you're older as well. Did you, did you scribble stuff down when you were sort of younger or...? Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, I've always written. And I think for any sort of aspiring writers that are listening, like it is a craft and you have to learn that craft. And one of the reasons that kind of a, you know, hot young ingenue who's sort of, you know, 20 and still at university makes headlines when they get a book deal is because that's rare. And that actually most people get a book deal when they're, when they're, when they're older um, and they have got more experience and almost everyone I know has got like a, at least a couple of books that are just in the bottom of a drawer somewhere at home that you that you learn your craft and whether you learn that through doing an MA whether you learn it through through um, just simply writing it at home you, you have to you have to do that you have to actually turn up and do the job if you see what I mean 
the Bear Mouth, which was my first published book, was the my seventh book that I've written, my seventh children's book that I'd written, and my first one to get published. And the others, you know, will never see the light of day because they were they were practice runs in a way. Um, so yeah, keep going. Is my <laughs> <laughs> don't give up. Keep going. And write because you have stories to tell. Yeah, I think that's a kind of don't try and chase the market. I I know some MAs do teach they teach you to kind of look at the market, study the market, find a niche in it. And I, I don't think that is, I think writing is an art form and it is a craft. And I think if you're gonna write stuff that you are gonna be truly proud of, don't chase the market, write stuff that comes from your heart. Write with your heart and edit with your head. Mm. I'm gonna go back in time now Ooh. to when you were a child. Mm. Um. Wibble, wibble. <laughs> mm. That's my going back in time sound effect. <laughs> She's suddenly younger. Mm. <laughs> Do you think, was there anything uh, that you were really into as a kid that has shaped the direction that you've gone in with work? Anything that you were particularly nerdy about or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I am a real nerd. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what wildlife. I was very much a kind of bird geek as a kid. I wouldn't say I was a birder because that's like, you know, next level. I was like an amateur, an amateur geek. And well, like wildlife in general. But also books and stories. I was always, I always had my head in a book. And my mum tells this story, and I'm sure she'll tell it to you and literally everyone schmeets about how when I was a kid and I invented, I invited a friend, a friend around to play. And my sister ended up playing with my friend, Claire, because um, I was sat with my head in book. <laughs> I'd quite learnt social etiquette at that age. <laughs> but I, I would just disappear into the world of books, and I've, I've always done that. And so kind of, you know, I am a full-time writer now, and that seems to me quite an extraordinary thing to be able to say out loud, because I'm aware how lucky I am that that's happened and how few writers get to be able to, 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 to say that. And so, yeah, making the most of it. And your sister got more friends, so... My sister got more friends, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> it was win-win. It was win-win, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever feel, like, embarrassed of kind of geeking out about stuff or hide it, or, or were you oh, always yeah. kind of fine about it? No, I mean, um, I mean, my surname is Hyder, so you mean <laughs> very good at hiding things. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely hid the really geeky side of me, yeah. I mean, I, do, I can get really obsessed about a subject, and so writing stuff that is inspired by real-life people, real-life locations, is a bit of a dream because it means I can fall, completely fall down that that rabbit hole. And the book after the gifts, so my my next adult one is set in um, 1896, and it's that set in that kind of Venn diagram overlap between really really early film <laughs> pioneers and magicians. And um, yeah, that is so that has been so much fun to research. I can really geek. I can do TED talk pretty much on them, <laughs> on that on that Venn diagram overlap. It is madly exciting, and I don't think people really know that much about it. But I mean, it is a hundred percent true that magicians played an absolutely crucial role in developing the language of film, and something that we use every day. That you know, all the TikTokers use. You know, it's like that visual literacy, that language, came about through through, through magicians. Magicians invented the first. Um, jump carts, they invented the first um, close-up shots, the first point-of-view shots, and I think that is endlessly wow. fascinating, and yeah, don't let me do the TED talk. Yeah. 
<laughs> you, you're looking at the you're looking at the microphone like you really want, want to. <laughs> I do want to. I'll save it. I'll save. I'll save. Yeah, I'll save it for the when that, that book's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Have I you had to hang out with a lot of magicians then? Well, I had to. Sorry. Did you? Have you? <laughs> no, because it's. I mean, no, because it's because it's historical. So what magicians do now is you, you can see the sort of the the, the, the kind of the, the linear way that magic has developed from from that kind of you know from the 1890s, which was a real golden age of magic, um, to sort of what magicians do now which is a slightly kind of different thing it's gone off in slightly different directions but it is a really genuinely sort of fascinating thing so yeah I've read a lot of I mean Darren Brown is the most amazing writer Mm. and I think you know obviously he's a phenomenal uh, performer and a brilliant illusionist and magician but he is an absolutely brilliant writer and if you haven't read any of his books read them because he's an extraordinary storyteller Um, yeah uh, so reading him and you know reading lots of um, contemporaneous magicians from sort of that, that time period, including David Debron, who I will do my TED talk about. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love David Debron. He had a terrible moustache, but I still love him. Oh. Didn't they all? Yeah, there was a, a quite. A, yeah, I, I, yeah, my character, who is basically David Debron under a different name, I've I've taken the moustache off because mm. he doesn't have one. Yeah. Did magicians used to be quite sexy back then? I feel like. Like that sounds like almost like they were crazy. I feel like, I feel like it's a tangent <laughs> that we should probably not go down right now. <laughs> no, just to give they were quite, you know, I'm, in love with, and... I'm horribly in love with David Devon. I'm gonna blush now because I do love him a bit too much. Um, no, he was just he's he was such an amazing man. Yeah, I can really geek out about him. He was he was my fave. Yeah, he's my favorite magician. It's just it feels like now, like it, magicians are kind of like a cliched, like you see it in a lot of sort of sitcoms and stuff. The worst date you could go on would be someone who turns up and they're a magician. I don't know, I was just thinking while you're saying that, it sounds like maybe they were sort of rock stars back in the day. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I think like Darren Brown is like, you know, really, you know, if, if you went on a date with Darren Brown, you'd be like, oh my God, it's Darren Brown! That's brilliant! <laughs> you know, it'd be, I, I think it's, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, there's a sort of cliche around magicians that's been there for, for a while that they are kind of all geeky, mm. geeky little people and they're absolutely not. Yeah. Although some of them are. <laughs> Generalisation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How good are you at relaxing? Because I know your mind works a million miles a minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I find it really hard. I've had COVID recently, and I'm still, I still have the fatigue from that. So I, I had COVID a couple of weeks ago, and my energy levels are um, not not what they normally are, and I, I'm really struggling with that because I walk a lot normally, and that's a way of me pacing out ideas, and that's a way of me kind of. Um, figuring out stories and it's a way of me figuring out editing and what I'm going to write next and all sorts of different things um, and, and I just I, can't, I just can't walk very far um, oh. and that and it's coming back my energy is coming back I'm, I'm lucky you know I feel like it is only two weeks I haven't had I haven't had you know a touch wood again I haven't had it for a really long period of time but yeah it's difficult and and I am absolutely terrible at relaxing yeah mm. so Covid actually was sort of enforced time in bed <laughs> Yeah, for a bit, um, and I, I sort of, yeah, I kind of needed that really. Yeah, are you going to keep doing that, relaxing? Uh, no, no, uh, because it's boring. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, it's it's a, a good lesson because in my head I'm still 25, um, and that's fine that that's in my head, but um, I'm actually 44 now, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't have the same level of energy that I had when I was 25. You know, it has just dropped a little bit anyway. And that's quite difficult to to kind of get my head round. Um, but yeah, COVID has it did knock me for six. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not very good at an accent. Because the thing is, there are stories wherever I go. I remember going on a holiday to South Wales, to Pembrokeshire, and we walked from the coast, we walked along from the coastline from Tenby to Manabir, and Manabir just got under my skin. It totally, I was just, I was only there for an afternoon. <laughs> but there's an, there's an incredible trio of, of, of buildings there. You've got a cromlech out on the headland, which isn't at the top of the headland, it's halfway up, which is a bit unusual, right, right out by the kind of edge, the um, cliff edge. And then you've got a really old castle that's sort of semi-ruined, but, you know, still, but a lot of it, you can still see it sort of pretty much as it was. It still feels, um, feels alive in a way. And then you've got a really odd church that's sort of the other side of a little narrow valley from the castle, and they sort of loom at each other across this little valley. And it's just got a really odd atmosphere. It, 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 it like tingling. You could kind of feel something, like a tuning fork, that you can hear something almost in the air. And, and I knew I had to go back. And so my next young adult book is set a man of beer. And that's what happens when I go on holiday somewhere new. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, wonder. <laughs> so yeah, I went back to Manabir and I found the story that, that was waiting. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you spend a lot of time actually on focused on the locale, don't you, of a story, and have done a lot around Ludlow. And yeah. do, do you feel like, will you be doing anywhere abroad at any point? Yeah, well, um, possibly. I, I mean, I don't know. The Maldives, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, I think I'm very aware of, you know, cultural appropriation and I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that in kind of all its senses. So I think you have to be very respectful of that. You have to be mindful of that. And so I love the Greek islands, but if I was to set something in Greece, I would need to go I'd, I would need to go there and, uh, and live there like a local. Uh, oh, what, Six a, years what a hardship first. that would be. Um, but you know, it's the practicality of that and the time that it, that, that it would take. So I, I don't know, maybe one day. Mm. But yeah, um, uh, there are just places that kind of, I, I think, you can almost feel that there's a story waiting in the air. And so you have to go and spend that time there and try and listen to what that story is mm. and then take, take, take that as a sort of starting point. But yeah, it is very much, lo location I think is really key to me. Have you got any hobbies outside of your day job that are particularly... No, that's not the end of the question. You're like, have you got any hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> any hobbies? Anything um, I like writing and reading. Uh, uh, anything that would be kind of the most different thing from your day job? Um... I mean, I really like walking, and I do, I do, I do have a great pair of binoculars, so I do go and get out on my bird, on my bird, your birder, and my head, yeah. And there's, there's, I mean, I'm really lucky. I live in Ludlow, and um, there's fantastic countryside all around. And you know, even in the time that I've been there, which is 12 years now, um, some of the wildlife has diminished. It's, it's noticeable in the 12 years that I've been there. Like yellow hammers are not so uh prevalent and you know the skylark numbers have gone down but there's still hares in the field and it's still you know it's still a beautiful place to kind of walk and wander and sort of soak that up so yeah definitely walking and getting out on the hills and um a little bit of of art i need to get back into it properly and i keep promising i started doing a botanical illustration course but um, i need to actually finish it <laughs> when um i started it a couple of months ago is it online? Yeah, yeah. My friend, um, my friend said to me that you need a hobby that is that is not anything to do with writing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rachel Buchanan. I'm going to name and shame you. Um, but she said because when you go for a walk, you're still thinking about writing. Yeah. And you're still thinking about stories, and you're still, you know. And so she's right. So having actually concentrating on drawing like a plant in a really detailed fashion is a really good. It is quite meditative, and it does it does fill that gap. Mm. So I've been drawing a lot of feathers 
because um, at the start of the gifts, one of the women grows this huge pair of wings and on the cover of the book there's these three beautiful feathers. So I've been drawing a lot of feather bookmarks which I've hidden <laughs> in copies of books. And actually, I know it sounds a bit, bit odd, but keep drawing, keeping drawing feathers over and over again in different colours and using different mediums, I've actually found that really weird and soothing. Mm. So I might, I might not carry on doing feathers, I might move on to <laughs> something else. Yeah, yeah. You could become an illustrator as well. Mm -hmm. And then you could never have to stop thinking about writing and salaries. No, I am, I am <laughs> never going to be an illustrator, and I'm quite happy with that. It's very much for my own, yeah, for my own kind of pleasure, but also my own, yeah, sort of meditation. Yeah, kind of peacefulness, I suppose. Yeah. Is it working? It's definitely not. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't do it often enough because I forget. Yeah. <laughs> so I get distracted. <laughs> I get distracted very easily. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Hay Festival podcast. Next Thursday, I'll be back talking to Kate Humble about everyday life and imposter syndrome. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do tell a friend or give it a rating wherever you're listening. This podcast was hosted by Poppy Evans and produced by Shabier Nacharo Achanith. I'll see you next week. <laughs>